I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Uh, so you can camp out at Psalm 127. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, but one of the things we, we talked about a bit more about last week is that uh, this uh, collection of psalms, the book of psalms, was compiled not necessarily in a chronological order, but they were uh, more composed with some, some different ideas and some themes in mind. And so this collection of psalms, what we know is that he, although some were written by David, some by Solomon, some from some unknown authors, how they were used were by the people of God um, as they uh, traveled to Jerusalem to prepare for worship at the temple. And so that's why we have termed them the Psalms of Ascent because Jerusalem is a city on a hill. And so if people were coming in from the other areas where the Israelites had been spread out to, they would have been able to see Jerusalem in a distance and, and travel up to Jerusalem. And not only that, a geographical metaphor, but also e even the temple itself. You know, it's, it said that there were 15 steps leading up into the temple. And that's why there's these 15 Psalms that they would sing these hymns in preparation uh, for going into worship. And so that's what we're going to be talking about really is worship and how we can prepare ourselves for worship and what are some of the ways that um, things might creep into our life that might hinder our worship. And so as, as we get going this morning, and I want you to know this is a safe place for you to just be completely honest about where you are, but I was wondering just on, on the feel of the room, who would say that they enjoy hiking? And like I said, you can be honest. Okay, yeah, I know we have some hikers, and don't let the pressure of the hands um, make you feel obligated to join us on the hiking team if you're like, that's not for me. And so I know a lot of us do enjoy getting outside in nature. That's something that appeals to us. Um, and so, but I also know that sometimes hiking can convey this image of, of a nice, easy uh, uh, path uh, through the woods or maybe a sidewalk in a park. Uh, so let's um, narrow this down a little bit. Who uh, likes hiking up in incline? Okay, yeah, I appreciate it. Some of us are gluttons for punishment, and so there's still some of us. Yeah, and, and so um, if you are one of those people who you do not understand why so many people just raise their hands because you have tried that before and it was the worst, uh, let me just enlighten you. Um, although some of us might enjoy the pain of hiking up an incline, really we do it because um, it is the only way that you are going to get certain views in this life. And so that's what hiking is about. Uh, you will endure the pain because when you get to the top of whatever summit you are walking up, uh, you will get to see things that you would not have seen if you had stayed on the ground. And so um, actually this week, as soon as this service is done, myself and Pastor Charlie and Mark and Brian, we're heading to Colorado and we're going to uh, backpack up in the mountains. And so we're going to experience this firsthand that, uh, and one of the reasons you do that is because um, you will get to see some things or you will see things more clearly than you uh, never would have seen if you had just stayed on the ground. And so I, I love that we have the, the imagery of this word ascend in talking about worship. Because worship in the same way, um, when you come into worship or experience a time or a moment of worship, um, it allows you to see things in your life more clearly that you would not have seen or not have realized or not have recognized if you had never participated in worshiping God. But in the same way as hiking, worship is hard. 
And there's a reason uh, we use this imagery of ascending, of going up, of traveling up, because it also should convey the, the difficult aspect of truly entering into worship of the one true God. It does require this effort on our part. And so some of us might not actually do that. And you might even uh, be sitting in a church on Sunday morning, but not actually entering into worship. And I, I think there's a lot of different aspects of what it means to worship God and why it might be difficult for some of us. But here's what I think is one of the biggest reasons we might not actually worship God and what might hinder us from coming to the Lord is because if you want to worship God, it's going to require you to relinquish control. I can't be God and recognize that God is God. And so there is no way I can value God and place him as the supreme thing in my life, which that is what worship is without relinquishing control of my life. And I, I can just be honest with you in here. Like, I like being in control. We don't have to show of hands on that, but I think there's some other people in the room that would probably, that would resonate with you. I, I like control. I like punctuality. I like people doing what they say they're going to do. I like things I can manage. I'm very pragmatic. I like control. But I realize if God is in control, I can't be in control. It's a mutually exclusive relationship. Like, I can't be God of my life and also say that Jesus is Lord of my life at the same time. And so maybe we don't even realize it, but we have probably come into church and sung songs and not actually worshiped God because at the same time that we're sitting in a church building and singing these songs and opening our Bibles and blending in with everybody else in our hearts, we are holding on to everything we want to do for ourselves. You can't worship God without relinquishing control. And relinquishing control is hard. And so a lot of us probably just don't do it. I know for myself, um, as I try to control and manage the things in my life that, you know, I just grip onto uh, so tightly and then inevitably, because we all know it, we can't control much of anything, uh, let alone even sometimes my own behavior seems like it's not even within my own grasp. But I know for me, when I am desperately trying to control and manage the things in my life and I realize I can't, I usually react in one of two ways. Uh, one, either anger or if it involves another person, I might turn to manipulation. And so we can uh, probably see these patterns in ourselves as we are uh, desperate to try to manage the world around us and try to be God in our own lives that when things are not going our way, we might see those other things begin to creep up in our lives that we might uh, get angry and hostile towards the world around us. Or when people will not do what we think they should do, we might try to manipulate them and guilt trip them and make them, uh, force them into what we think is best. This is how we typically respond when we are not in control. And so as we are spending this time together talking about worship, that is going to be one of the aspects that contends against this actually experiencing the goodness of worshiping God. If we are grasping on so tightly to the things in our life and we are trying to be God at the same time as saying Jesus is Lord of our lives, it's just not going to be possible. And so we thought we'd um, just tackle three easy things this morning when talking about what we try to control and just giving up control to God. One is our future, one is our families, and the other is our security. You know, just some light topics for us this 4th of July. So, like I said, I want to invite you to look at Psalm 127. It just has some, some 
beautiful but difficult instruction for us this morning. This is what it says. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So that is Psalm 127 for us this morning. And I, I love, it kind of breaks down into those two sections, starting off with uh, just this declaration that um, uh, unless God is accomplishing the things in your life, your effort towards you accomplishing those things are going to be wasted. It's in a pretty incredible statement. So he says, um, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it build in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stands in vain. It's this pretty incredible statement because here's what I see within uh, the text of God is that uh, our motivation behind our actions really matters to God. And so we should be able to pick up on that really quickly because um, God in, in, in this psalm right here, he is not condem- condemning uh, building or watching. He's not saying those are wrong actions. Uh, What he is saying is he is uh, attacking the motivation behind those two things. And so we could probably all recognize in our life that we could take the same action but have two drastically different motivations for doing that action. Let's think about even worship in church. You know, uh, God's word talks about it a lot, that uh, the action might stay the same. You know, uh, God's indictment against Israel was, you praise me with your mouths, but your hearts are far from me. So the action remained the same, but the motivation was something drastically different. And we could translate that to almost every area of our lives. And, you know, I could even think about, you know, uh, in, in my home life, how I might interact with my wife. Maybe I will do a chore either out of love for her or because I want her to do something for me later. And I'm softening her up to get to that request that I really have. Same action, drastically different motivations. And so God is attacking that for us because we know from the Lord, 1 Samuel talks about that man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so we should think about the way we are approaching our lives and the motivations behind the actions we are taking and what is driving the things that we do. So like I said, there are some areas of control that if we want to worship Jesus, he's going to press against those areas. So one of those areas is our future. So this is an, an active tense here about building a house, and it could be perceived in a lot of different ways. It essentially means, you know, um, establishing your life in the way you want it to be. And since it also has some verses a little bit following about uh, expanding your family, that could be that aspect. Uh, that aspect of building your house is might literally be uh, a building, a physical building, but also it might just be like, what are you building your life upon? And so all of us are going to be taking actions every single day of our life and forming a life that matters, hopefully. And that is not a negative thing, but you have to evaluate your motivations because what does it say right here? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And so, like I said, it's less about the action and the posture of your heart because here's, here's what I know of what motivates us a lot. And um, 
And, and I think most of our motivations could probably be reduced into one of two categories, and there are other things. This won't be exhaustive. But I, I, I think, you know, on my healthiest days, as I am making decisions about what to put into my life, it's probably motivated out of wisdom from the Lord. So, you know, there are good things I should be building into my life. You know, we, we talk uh, about a lot of different areas of life in the church, including, you know, like our finances. You know, um, having a savings account, it's a good thing. Having an emergency account, that's a good thing. And so um, there might be this aspect of my life that as I am being prudent with my finances, that I am uh, building those things out of wisdom. But there is this other motivation that might creep into all of our lives, and it's probably not a dichotomy. It's probably both, but we need to recognize it because sometimes I do things out of wisdom from the Lord, and sometimes I do things out of fear. And I think those are the motivations that are going to attack us the most. Sometimes, maybe uh, on our healthiest day, you know, I'm trusting the Lord, and I'm just being wise and structuring my life in a way that seems good and biblical and godly, but there's probably going to be a lot of times in my life that I am uh, doing the exact same action, but it's not motivated out of the wisdom of the Lord. It's motivated out of fear that life's going to get out of hand for me. And so we need to think about these things. And that's what I think uh, God is talking about right here. And so if, we're, we're going to flip a couple different places because I love um, that the instruction of the Psalms is mirrored in a lot of the things that Jesus says for us. And it'll draw those distinctions between are we uh, building things into our lives and are we watching over our lives and are we um, interacting with our families out of the wisdom of God or out of fear about what might happen. So uh, flip with me over to Matthew chapter 7 because I love uh, that Jesus draws this out, that the same action could be happening, but um, with very different results. Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 24 through 27 says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And so I love uh, that it paints this picture. Uh, both people, both building houses, very different foundations, very different results. And so we see, uh, and I do think this is a metaphorical house. It's talking about building a life on something that is lasting. And so as we are also building our lives, are we being motivated by the instruction of the Lord or are we being motivated by fear of what might happen if we don't control and manage everything in our lives? God does not come down on the idea of building. He also doesn't come down on the idea of watching. And so that next verse, it says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stands in vain. So he's not saying, hey, um, it's a good idea that you just, you know, leave your house door unlocked all the time and just don't worry about it. No, but he's uh, attacking the motivation of why we might do some of the things that we do. And in fact, for a lot of times in the nation of Israel's history, it's God's given instruction to set a watchman on the wall. So the watching is not a problem is to not trusting the Lord while we are performing the actions necessary to get through this life. And so I love that Jesus draws this out for us. And I love how he says it in Matthew 16. And it, it goes against this motivation. It goes against these natural tendencies. But it, Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake 
will save it. Unless the Lord watches over the house, the watchman stands in vain. I love the last uh, little verse in that section, the beginning of the psalm. Verse 2, it says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I think one of the ways we might be able to um, just know ourselves is if we can look at our lives and look at the different circumstances that arise and ask ourselves if we're sleeping okay. You know, I love that that is a promise from the Lord. It says he gives his beloved sleep. Um, you know, I pulled some CDC stats about the nature of sleep going on in America right now. In 70 million Americans uh, report chronic sleep problems. One in three U.S. adults regularly don't get enough sleep. Insufficient sleep is experienced by about 30% of the general population over the age of 18. 48% of Americans report snoring during the night. And 88% of American adults lose sleep due to binge-watching. I don't know if you take literally that you need to stay up late watching over your house, but you know, I just I, I, I love the difference it paints. You know, there's nothing wrong with getting up early. There's nothing wrong with working hard and establishing the life God has given you. But the motivation matters. You know, so, so if, if it is a motivation out of fear that if you can't control every aspect of your life, then this is going to fall apart and this is going to fall apart and this is the worst case scenario that could be happened. If that's why you are getting up in the morning and staying up late at night, uh, that, that's just a, such an incredible image right there. You are eating the bread of anxious toil. I'm a bread guy. That doesn't sound like a very good bread to have. And why are you doing it? We come to church regularly. We get into the word of God. We know that he is sovereign and sufficient. We know that he is powerful in control, and we know that he loves us and cares for us, that even if things don't go our way, that is a part of his plan. And at the same time, a lot of us are riddled with anxiety about what might happen. You know, I love the, uh, the story of, uh, of Jesus calming the storm uh, because, you know, he's out in the boat with his disciples and uh, they are fishermen. This is their wheelhouse. This is um, um, familiar territory for them. But it says that, you know, such a storm arises for them that they are terrified and think they are going to die. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. Because unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stands in vain. And so we can take a cue from our Lord and Savior and we can recognize that I don't have to be God. And in fact, I can receive from the Lord the blessing of sleep. And so if we um, are, are, are struggling at different points in seasons in our life when we are uh, riddled by anxiety and stress, and I know there are moments in life that are anxious and stressing, and none of us are going to nail this 100% of the time, but it might be an indicator for us that we are trying to control things that God has not called us to control, and he might be telling us to uh, let go of the things we are holding on to so tightly and trust him to be God. 
I think another indicator uh, of um, maybe where your motivation lies in the building of your life is, and it's a simple question, um, is prayer for you a first resort or a last option? And just evaluate. Last time disaster happened, crisis happened, something out of the ordinary jumped out at you. And I'll just ask yourself, is prayer for you a first resort or a last option? Are you struggling with sleep? Are you desperately trying to control and manage the things going on in your life? And let me just say, I, I, I don't think uh, that this is a, um, a, a message about doing nothing. I think this is an invitation from the Lord to participate in his plan and not constantly trying to circumvent his plan. And and there's a difference in those two things. And so we are supposed to build, we are supposed to watch, we are supposed to do these things, but with a motivation out of uh, trusting God to be God and participating in his plan instead of constantly trying to rearrange his plan and white-knuckle everything until we get it our way or the way that seems best to us. And then it makes this transition in the psalm towards being about families, towards being about children. Verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb of reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Uh, a pretty, pretty incredible statement. Um, so I, I didn't grow up in medieval times, um, but as I see it, uh, arrows are supposed to be shot and, uh, you know, I have spent a, a good portion of my life at this point, about 10 years doing student ministry. And, you know, I'm just now entering into that parenting phase of my own life. But I've gotten to interact with a lot of parents over time, especially during those teenage years, which, as I understand it, are some of the most stressing. If you can give me an amen if you feel like it, um, if your kids are in the room. I think a lot of our parenting is motivated out of fear. And I get that. You get that um, little person in your life that is uh, so precious. And um, I understand how worry could begin to creep into your life in such a way that you feel like you have to manage and control all of the different uh, aspects of their life and what friends they talk to and what they don't do and uh, what uh, career they should pursue or what schools they should get into. I I understand how that could be a a big motivator in how we interact with our families. Um, You don't have to be God. God is God. And we can't be God while he is God. And so let me just encourage you, as I see this, there is this, uh, I think, this progression that's supposed to happen in regards to our families and the way we interact with our children, that you are supposed to set them up and teach them the instruction of the Lord, and then you're supposed to send them out into the world uh, and let them trust and build their lives on God, and you don't have to manage all the outcomes and all of the different aspects of their life because you can't be God and God be God at the same time. And I think this is what worship is. It's letting go of our illusion of control and trusting God to do the things that only he can do and we get to participate in that plan and not try to rearrange that plan. Because let me just tell you this, God has a plan for your kids and it's probably not the same plan that you have. It's probably going to have some bumps in the road that you would not have wanted for your children. It's probably going to have a different um, um, ending point than what you would have chosen for your kids. But you can trust God to be God. I like it. I've been reading through the book of Job, and um, 
there's all those chapters that just take forever to get through. But then I love once you hit like Job 40, and I love when uh, God comes to answer Job. And one of the first statements God makes to Job is, um, who can contend with the Almighty? And it's a rhetorical question because we all know the answer to that, that none of us can stand against God. But man, do we expend a lot of energy trying to contend with the Almighty. And we eat the bread of anxious toil when it comes to our families. Um, and we miss out on the promise of our heavenly father that he gives to his beloved sleep. And so just evaluate your own lives. And it doesn't have to just be parents to kids. I know some of y'all are at the age where now it's kids to parents. And you might have extended family that you have an obligation or an expectation to interact in their lives. Or maybe you're just uh, waiting for God to do something in your family. And just ask yourself, are, are, are the ways you interact with your family members motivated out of the wisdom God offers? Or are they motivated out of fear of what might happen? Are you eating the bread of anxious toil as it comes to your families? I like how this psalm ends. It's pretty interesting. Um, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And I think we're going to have to use a metaphor here because I've never met any of my enemies at the gate. Um, but what it's talking about in, um, in our, our anxiousness of control and security, one of the ways God provides for that is our actual families. So I kind of imagine this is that guy that wants to have a whole sports team. And so literally it's saying like, hey, if, if God has blessed you with a lot of children, this large family, one of God's provisions for you is that if you have an encounter out there, on the streets, you're already rolling pretty deep. And that's not something you accomplished. That's something God accomplished. And one of the ways God provides for all of us in the security he brings into our lives is to um, have an extended family that looks out for, takes care of, has your back, is going to be around for you. And so once again, I don't think that's a motivation of fear, but it is the wisdom of the Lord. And so I just know that in our context, a lot of times we're probably looking at these passages and um, um, I, I just know because I look at a lot of statistics, loneliness is rampant. And so if we're looking at that and be like, hey, if I had to go meet my enemies at the gate, there's nobody who's got my back. And, I, and so I want, before we wrap up, we, it's not in the Psalms of Ascent, but Psalm 68, I think, is this incredible uh, psalm of what uh, God, how God works for you. And so even if you're sitting in this room, and you feel like you are very alone, hear the word of the Lord in Psalm 68, 1 through 6 says this, God shall arise and his enemies shall be scattered and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home, and he leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Uh, I love how uh, the NIV translates verse 5. Um, it says, God puts the lonely into families. You know, one of the things we talk about, this um, thematic element of the New Testament, and we bring it up constantly in churches, um, that we're part of the family of God. 
that God has placed us in these areas when although um, we might feel there might be some gaps in our biological family and maybe you didn't have a father figure or a mother figure or maybe you haven't been able to be a father figure or a mother figure or maybe you don't feel like you have brothers and sisters that you relate to in your spiritual life. God has placed you in the family of God for a reason as his provision for your security. And so that's why we get so many commands within the New Testament about the family of faith, the community of believers that we can just call the one another commands, like carry one another's burdens, love one another. And those are part of the ways that God is going to address the area of security in your life. It might not be in the way you wanted it to be. It might not have been your plan A, but God has provisions for you through the people around you within the church. And that's an incredible thing. And so, that you know, uh, as I reflect on like 2020, when everything got shut down and people just moved into isolation and just being here, you know, you hear a lot of different things. And I started reflecting, you know, uh, as, you know, a couple of weeks wore on, I heard from so many people from church and I know home groups were Zooming with each other and talking to each other and seeing if you had anything. We were trading toilet paper. We all got a lot closer during that time. And I just kind of asked myself, like, if you didn't have friends at work and you didn't belong to a church, like how terrible was 2020 being stuck in your apartment or being stuck in your house or having nobody that you had around you? Uh, a, a very impactful moment in my life uh, was I had been here a year or two as a pastor in, in one day, uh, and I've shared this story before, uh, a guy kind of wandered into the church office, which happens from time to time. People go to the church for help, and he just asked if he could talk to somebody, and I was there. Um, so me and him sat down and talked, and I think he was a couple years older than me, probably like late 20s, early 30s at the time. And we sat down. I was like, hey, what's going on? Um, and he started kind of telling me a little bit about his life, and he told me that... Um, grandparents at that point in his life had passed away. He was an only child. Both of his parents had passed away. He wasn't from DFW. Uh, he had just moved there um, to be a dog trainer, and so didn't have work colleagues. He trained people's dogs, so he didn't, you know, have other humans, really, that he was interacting with much. And so he was kind of telling me all about his life, and then he kind of led up to the moment, and he said, um, this past week, I got mugged and beat up and I realized if I had gotten killed, there wasn't anybody that would have known or cared. And he had, he had scrapes down his face. I hadn't asked him yet. And then he, he sat and cried. And we talked and we prayed and I encouraged him to come back. And I feel like that's where a lot of people struggle with this idea of security is with the people that are in our lives. Like, how, how, how am I going to be okay if I don't have these different areas of my life filled out? And just know, like, God knows. God knows. Like you don't have to be God. You don't have to manage all those outcomes because he cares for you and he has a plan for you and it's not going to look like you want it to look. And so there are going to be moments and seasons that hurt and are difficult. And hopefully the, the goal of that is to drive you to dependence on Jesus so you can realize how sufficient and all powerful he is in those moments. But just know that he knows. So God puts the lonely into families, and maybe it's not the biological family you had always hoped for, but there is a spiritual family out there that not only is going to love and care for you, but needs you to be a part of it. It needs you to participate and to use your gifts and the things God has uh, placed in you and the love God has placed in your heart. Your uh, extended spiritual family needs that as well. And so this morning, 
as we think about those areas of our life and what might contend against our worship of the one true God, if we are constantly trying to control everything and you find yourselves eating the bread of anxious toil and um, not being able to rest and not receiving sleep from your beloved Heavenly Father, I'll just ask you, like, think, think about those areas of your life. What, what is it right now that's pushing the most in your heart and mind? Is it your future? as you're trying to build something with your life? Is it your security? How am I going to be taken care of if I don't have these things? Or maybe it's your family. Maybe parents, it's your children. Or maybe children, it's your parents. And so as we wrap up right here, I would just invite you to close your eyes and have a moment with the Lord. You know, personally for myself, and I know we're not all wired the same way, like, I need um, something physical. I need my body to reflect what God's doing. And I, I know so often, you know, we raise our hands in worship, and I would just, you know, I just wonder if the posture of our hearts is actually open-handed with God. Because I know there are the different things that to me seem non-negotiable, God, I'll give you all the other things, but this thing, I need it a specific way. And instead of being open-handed, and maybe I would even do that while singing a song, but my heart would be far from the Lord. And I would just ask you in the quiet of your own heart to ask the Lord to reveal to you what you're holding on to that you need to let go of. What are you grasping so tightly that's going to inhibit you from worshiping God in the fullness of what he's called you to? Where in your life is the primary motivation fear? Because we have to remember, God did not give us a spirit of fear. But he gave us a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Father.